How's everybody doing? For today's Patreon stream, we are going to be continuing in uh, Father Woodbury's commentary on the Summa in the introduction where he talks about St. Thomas's method. First, he talked about a little bit of the background behind it, working up to the point of thinking through how St. Thomas does theology and how his predecessors and his successors also did scholastic theology. Now we're going to be uh, looking at some of the objections that are found. Well, generally, we're going to be thinking about St. Thomas's method, but the first article uh, that will, well, the first section we'll get to today will just be all about the objections to his method and answering some of those. So let's start. So order procedure. Some seem to think that before Descartes wrote his discourse on method, traditional philosophy was not fully and exactly cognizant of the rules of the legitimate process of the mind for the elaboration and teaching of science. On the other hand, many think that Descartes, who despised history and his predecessors, easily uh, could easily have found the rules of this method in their works. Indeed, there are logicians who maintain that a much more scientific treatise on method than that of Descartes could have been written under the guidance of Aristotle and St. Thomas. All you really need to do for this, if you're really interested, is for Aristotle, read his Oregonon, and then for St. Thomas, read his commentary on the posterior analytics. Both, both of those works together will just blow your mind on how amazing uh, they are when it comes to uh, method. So in this article... We shall do no more than briefly sketch the main outlines of the method of St. Thomas, and accordingly first, after the manner of a statement of the question, we shall indicate what many contemporary writers say about it. Second, we shall examine how St. Thomas found a second foundation of his method in Aristotle. Third, we shall consider how St. Thomas employed analysis in inductive inquiry. Fourth, we shall explain how we use synthesis and demonstration. Fifth, we shall see how he intimately united analysis and synthesis. Sixth, we shall note how the doctrine of St. Thomas issued from a fullness of contemplation. Hence the following order. Uh, dissertation one, diverse judgments thereon. Dissertation two, its foundation Aristotle. Three, inductive pursuit of definitions. Four, the medium of demonstration. Five, the union of analysis and synthesis. And six, its source from contemplation. And as a brief note uh, before we continue, Another treatise that basically covers the same thing that Woodbury is going to cover here. This is it, it. This feels like an English translation of of Lagrange's uh, introduction to his commentary on the One God, where he goes over Saint Thomas's method. So that would be a good supplementary uh, work to read. They're about, I'd say, the same uh, in detail. I would say Woodbury might be a little bit more compact in his language than Lagrange, which is saying something. But yeah, that, that would be a very good work to read. And again, uh, Woodbury's going to be coming at this from a bit more of a philosophical angle, where Lagrange is going to be coming at this from a bit more of a theological angle. So first, objection that St. Thomas's method is too artificial and a priori. And remember the difference between a priori and a posteriori. A priori is uh, something which is deductive from certain principles, and a posteriori is going to be uh, deducing principles from facts. So it is said by some that St. Thomas's method is too scholastic and artificial, not sufficiently historical and real, too exclusively a priori, as it were proceeding always by way of deduction or synthesis, not sufficiently by way of induction and analysis. And then synthesis, again, 
from principles to conclusion, analysis is from conclusions to back to principles, or from certain things present in front of us, and then uh, reasoning back to principles, how we would think of as like science, like experimental science, uh, except uh, in the in the realm of theology, or at least too abstract in its analysis, seeming to confuse logical abstractions with the reality of things. And when it comes to um, this critique of St. Thomas's method being too scholastic and artificial, while not historical and real, this is a, uh, a critique that the Nouvelle Theologie made against the neo-scholastics. Interestingly enough, I've, I've seen that critique present all the time. It's uh, they, they call the method anachronistic, which, uh, as, as we'll see, uh, there is a right use of history. And really, uh, when it comes to the Nouvelle Theologie, they're uh, oftentimes historicist. So thus, Edgar uh, de Bruyne, I promise uh, there's no way I've been able to pronounce that. Quotes, quote, if we wish to remain true to the tradition of the schools, we should be led to believe that from the beginning, Thomism committed the mistake of confusing the logical and the real. St. Thomas speaks of essence, as it were, a reality. He reasons about the matters, the matter in the form of corporeal things, as it were, as if they were distinct realities that are in opposition, end quote. To be sure, for St. Thomas, already before consideration of the mind, matter is not form and created essence is not existence. And therefore, matter is really distinct. So this is, a, remember that real distinction we talked about uh, when we were going over SCOTUS yesterday. Real distinction is a distinction which is before and independent of the mind. is really distinct from form and created essence from existence. Yet form and essence are not, for St. Thomas, what is such but rather that whereby or according whereto something is such as heat is not what is hot, but rather it is whereby or according whereto the water is hot. Wherefrom, however, it does not follow that they are mere mental beings and not something real. Okay, that, that's a bit of a heavy paragraph right there. So in, in philosophy, we make a distinction between the principium quo and the principium quod. So the principium uh, quod is the principle which... So I've been thinking about a lot of things when it comes to grace recently. So uh, if, if we think about the the human will, the human will is the principium quod, the principle which acts. And now when it comes to the ver the uh, certain super added forms of grace, when there's the infusion in, in an influx of grace into the soul, those are going to be what, what are called the principium quo, so the principle by which something acts. So the, the will acts by charity, we may say, uh, when it comes to uh, supernatural uh, and salvific acts of the soul. So when it comes to form, form is the principium quo. So the form of something is that whereby or by which something acts. So in thinking about... Uh, uh, let, let's think about uh, water. Water, uh, if it is heated, it is able to um, give heat and be hot. Now, the form of that is the is the certain hotness. The the principle by which is the is the hotness which is uh, infused to it by by fire. So, when it comes to the form of a certain thing, it is that principle by which it is that thing. So. Uh, the principle by which this cup I'm holding in my hand is a cup is the form of cupness. That is the principium quo. 
uh, whereby it is a cup. So sorry for that brief aside, but I, I knew that most of you probably would not have any idea what that what was happening in that paragraph. But many do not understand the distinction between the metaphysical abstraction. And then for this paragraph, this is going to be really important with understanding why nominalism is wrong. But many do not understand the distinction between the metaphysical abstraction of direct consideration or a first intention, which attains the thing conceived, i.e. the very real nature of singular things. So the uh, a being of first intention is going to be our direct perception of the thing in our intellect. That is, that is first intention. And logical abstraction of reflex consideration or of second intention, which attains the object according to the mode of being which it has in the mind, VG, its formal universality. So when it comes to second intention, that is uh, starting to apply the, uh, the the process of discursive reasoning to the certain thing. So uh, uh, actually, he gives a, he gives good examples below. And therefore, they think that only what is, i.e., the concrete singular, this horse is real. So this horse is going to be um, something which is a first intention. Wherefore, they deem an abstract object, VG, essence of horse, to be not only not concrete, but also not real. And then the essence of the horse is going to be something uh, which exists in the intellect after second intention. Thus, for them, essences, VG, essence of man, essence of quantity, essence of society, would not be something real. Wherefore, it would follow that the whole of metaphysics, not accepting the supreme principle itself, the principle of non-contradiction, would be reduced to logical abstractions, or in other words, to mental beings. Wherefore, metaphysics would be, as they say, an immoderate intellectualism, barren of realism in life. Usually these critics of St. Thomas would not venture so far as to say something explicitly that the abstract principle of non-contradiction, to wit, something cannot be, together be and not be, is not a law of real being but only a logical law of the processes of thought or a postulate of reasoning. Nevertheless, to such an extreme would this inane and fairly widespread objection lead. So what he is, um, what he is uh, using is what's called, uh, you, usually you hear it uh, as the argumentum ad absurdum, so the argument to absurdity, but really it's actually an argumentum ad hominem, uh, the pro at least the proper usage of, of the term ad hominem. It's when you apply somebody's principles uh, the principles of somebody's arguments to to their own system to say that if it if you are not okay with the principle uh, with with certain logical lo quote logical abstractions uh, like this and say that because they are uh, logically abstracted therefore they're not real then you would have to have a problem with the law of non contradiction and say that that only exists in the mind and not in the thing which would be uh, utterly ridiculous. So continuing. Objection that St. Thomas's method is conventionally medieval. Some object that the method of St. Thomas often proceeds not according to the natural manner of thought, but in a conventional manner of the 13th century schools, to wit, by first exposing objections which would be better proposed after the thesis has been established, according as if proposed first, they obscure rather than shed light. So this is one you often get from people. People are very confused why in the world St. Thomas... Um, why, why in the world he puts forth these objections first? Uh, he shouldn't, shouldn't objections go at the end? You even see that uh, in later scholastic treatises is they kind of lose a lot of the reason why the objections are first. 
For some find it strange that St. Thomas would first set forth errors, second propose the truth under a brief argument from authority, third establish his thesis from his proper reasons, fourth answer the objections set forth at the outset. On this account, some nowadays, both in philosophy and in speculative theology, depart from this method which they deem too scholastic. Already indeed at the time of Pope Pius IX, some, as is clear from Proposition 13 of the Syllabus, had been saying the method and principles which the ancient scholastic doctors employed for the purpose of theological culture are not suitable for the necessities of our times and the progress of the sciences. Indeed, some, not taking into account the profound difference between the manner of procedure of St. Thomas and the merely a priori or synthetic method of Spinoza, that would be something which is uh, completely uh, mathematical from first principles, not inductively taking in uh, any sort of um, uh, any, any sort of conclusions to try to reason back to, uh, to, to premises. So only analysis, no synthesis. Seem to think that the method of St. Thomas and of St. Bonaventure would lead, owing to the abuse of philosophic deduction, to rationalism and pantheism. This appears from the propositions which the St. Congregation to the Index bade uh, Bonetti uh, to subscribe in 1855. So now this is this is the most important section that I want you guys to really, really pay attention to because uh, the abuse of the historical method is something which is huge. Uh, and this is a huge objection, which is against the method of St. Thomas and the method of the beloved and ever-blessed neo-scholastics. Abuse of historical method. Now, some depart from St. Thomas's method preferring the historical not only for the useful and necessary investigation in the history of philosophy and theology, but also for a more or less direct knowledge of even philosophical or theological truth. This mode of procedure was indeed already in vogue among the followers of idealistic evolutionism, especially with Hegel, and later on we find it, though in a modified form, in many works of modern authors. Whatever these modifications may be, this method, so it seems, tends by its very nature to confuse philosophy with the history of philosophy, and thus has established a certain philosophy of the history of doctrines, one that is more or less according to the tenets of evolutionism. According to this view, which is not infrequent today, among all the systems appearing in the course of time in accordance with the evolution of ideas, no system is absolutely true, but each is relatively true, that is, in opposition to another preceding doctrine, or else to some other briefly evolutionary period of the past. So basically, when it comes to this idea, it's an abuse of the development of doctrine that we need uh, we, we need to always be up to date, uh, so to speak, um, that there needs to be this this sort of evolution of truth. Uh, there needs to be this uh, antithesis and then this um, then this thesis and the synthesis being being brought forth at all times, kind of driving us towards the truth, but never never reaching there. Therefore, we need an a very. Um, historically, uh, a merely historically minded method that is trying to follow the, the zeitgeist, so to speak. They say that, for instance, Thomism was relatively true in the 13th century in opposition to the doctrine of certain Augustinians, which it uh, surpassed, but it too is not absolutely but relatively false with respect to the subsequent system, which either as an antithesis or as a superior synthesis is of a higher order in the evolution of ideas. Thus, Scotism coming at a later date would be truer than St. Thomas's doctrine. That's how you know this is wrong if it says that. I'm just messing with you. And this by the momentum of progress in the history of philosophy and theology. 
then why should not this be so far the, so for the nominalism of William Ockham? You definitely know it's wrong now. In like manner, the eclecticism of Suarez, which often seeks to steer a middle course between the system of St. Thomas and that of Blessed Scotus, would be a still more perfect synthesis and the beginning of a new process in progress among the modern intellectuals. If it were so, nothing would be absolutely true, not even the principle of contradiction, at least as a law of being in higher reason, as Hegel admits. All the more so, none of the accepted definitions would be absolutely true, and hence from none of them could the true properties of things be deduced. There would be only relative truth in its reference to the present state of knowledge, and this rather as regards the already superseded past than the unknown future. Even for knowing the relative truth of any doctrine, it would, be it would be necessary to have full knowledge of the preceding periods of evolution, which were the prerequisites for the manifestation of its ultimate development. By way of illustration, we may say that for a knowledge of what ought to be our philosophical conception according to the intellectual exigencies of the 20th century, we would have to go through Kantianism and Hegelianism, and then virtually reconsider Thomism so as to render it truly presentable to the modern minds. Yet this new cognition, as regards the mental attitude of the 20th century, would not be absolutely but only relatively true, just as the uh, cognitation, I have no idea how to pronounce that word, Cog cogitation, co cogitation, I think it's cogitation, of St. Thomas was relatively true in the 13th century. This conception of truth, however, does not seem to differ from that of the modernists. Exactly, 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 clearly modernism. Truth is no more immutable than, uh, who said, truth is no more immutable than man himself is, in that it is developed with, in, and by him. And this proposition, if we wish to consider the question more seriously, presupposes imminence or absolute evolutionism. According to this theory, as Pius IX said in the first proposition of the syllabus, quote, in effect, God is produced in man and in the world and all things are God and of the very substance of God. God is one and the same thing with the world and therefore spirit with matter, necessity with liberty, good with evil, justice with injustice, end quote. Indeed, the charge is made against St. Thomas that his method, as if it did not differ from Spinoza's, leads to pantheism. And now the new historical method, which is evolutional its tone of thought, leads to the opposite form of pantheism. Spinoza, indeed, identified all things with the immobile God, while the evolutionists reduced God to universal evolution. According to the evolutionists, God is really in the process of becoming both in man and in the world, and he never will be in the true sense, as Renan said. Thus, nothing would be relatively true and only absolutely false. There would be only relative, absolutely true, and nothing absolutely false. There would only be relative truth and relative falsehood. Only relativity would be absolute. The uh, aforementioned confusion of history and philosophy corresponds to the desires neither of the true historian nor to the true philosopher. For the true historian seeks to acquire knowledge of history from the facts before an uncertain philosophy of history is established. And the true philosopher desires indeed an exact knowledge of the history of philosophy, but he does not regard posterity, posteriority in time of doctrines as a criterion of their relative truth. And if the chronological succession of doctrines were always necessarily an extending uh, evolution and never a regression or decline. For from the fact that Scotus came after St. Thomas, it does not follow that his doctrine is more true, or that the later eclecticism of Suarez is more perfect still. 
And then this, boom. So after we went through all of that about some of the dangers and um, the critique from the historicists, now he's going to talk about the due employment of the historical method. So how actually do we use history when it comes to uh, theology? There is without a doubt a legitimate and necessary use of the historical method. We ought to use the historical method in the history of doctrines, and this certainly helps greatly for an understanding of the state of a question and of its difficulty. For thus we may be, so to speak, a uh, panorama of the solutions of some great problems. So boom, you have it right here. So when it comes to the history of doctrines as a separate discipline, but when it comes to dogmatic uh, theology, it helps us understand the state of the question, which is why St. Thomas, if you notice a lot of his... Um, a lot of his, of his objections are from those who came before him in some other in some other form. So what St. Thomas is doing is St. Thomas is drawing from the history of error and in drawing from the history of error in the objections, he is establishing the state of the question. What is actually being asked and how have people differed throughout history to be able to better understand what exactly we are what exactly the question is and what do we need to overcome uh, when answering it. But in philosophy itself, the analytico-synthetic method proportionate to it ought to be employed. But in sacred theology ought to be used first arguments from the authority of sacred scripture and a divine tradition, or also the fathers. Second arguments from reason, not neglecting, of course, thirdly, the history of problems and of their solutions. So when it comes to history, History really is 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 relegated to the um, objection. So, when it comes to arguments from the authority of sacred scripture and divine tradition or the fathers, that is the said contra right there. That is called the dogmatic argument. Now, secondly, arguments from reason. Uh, that broadly speaking is um, is where in the respondeo you have some of the connecting of various dogmas, the explanations of, of why things make sense and so on and so forth. When it comes to the history of problems, it takes an even, even lower station than, than reason. Really what the history of problems and their solutions does is it helps us establish what we're asking. Not, not even anything about the uh, per se about the answer uh, of what we're asking. That's going to be uh, when it comes to the uh, divine tradition, the tradition of the fathers. And I think a huge issue with uh, Protestant theology is when it comes to the fathers, they're not authorities as such, but really they they, they kind of come down to hear the history of problems and their solutions. That's where the fathers fit in, not as um, not as authorities in themselves, even uh, relative and probable authorities, as St. Thomas talks about in um, in Prima Pars uh, 1-8 um, uh, response to second objection, I think it is. Uh, so, so that's uh, all. Uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about the foundation Aristotle of St. Thomas's method. We're going to get into a lot of uh, stuff about posterior analytics, but thank you for stopping by and I'll talk to you tomorrow.